We are going to change things up. I know we've been going through the book of Hebrews uh, verse by verse, but uh, I feel like God had something else uh, to be ministered today, and it's actually something I've ministered on before, um, but I don't, I don't know if it's impacting everybody, but things around me seem to be going crazy. And I don't know if uh, you've experienced this in your walk, but it seems like uh, the, the Christian walk or spiritual walk can sometimes be like a roller coaster, <laughs> all right? Sometimes you're on top of the hill and sometimes you're down in the valley. And, and like I said, I've mentioned on this before, but I felt like it was pertinent because um, we've got a lot of stuff going on. Pastor Joseph did mention the reason why we're not having lunch today is because the couple that normally hosts the lunch at their house, the, they're on quarantine because of COVID. Now, praise God, they're doing pretty well. Um, going going through this, but still, it's like, man, things were, 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 were seeming okay, and then now we got a couple getting COVID. And then we have another couple that has COVID, and they're not doing so well. One of them's uh, feeling really sick, but she's at home, and her husband right now is in ICU. Uh, he's not doing well. So one, that's Bob and Marty. Definitely keep them in your prayers, but it's like, okay, that's another another punch. And then this, this uh, a couple weeks ago, then I get a call from my parents, and uh, my, my mom and my stepdad, they both have COVID. It's like, man, there comes another one. And then I get a call last week and say, hey, did you know uh, Anna was in a car accident? She's in the hospital. I don't know if you all know George and Anna, but this is just last week. She got in a car accident. And praise God, she's doing okay. She's a little banged up and bruised up. But it's like, man, just another punch. On the way to Bible study last week, jump in the truck, like I always do, heading down here, and all of a sudden it makes the worst noise I've ever heard. Pull over, and it won't start again. Truck's in the shop. Truck's completely broke down. don't have a vehicle. No problem, though. We got it to the mechanic. So I call mechanic, calls me on Monday and says, hey, um, got your truck, but it's going to be a long time until I can look at it because all my technicians have called in sick. They probably have COVID. <laughs> so now I'm without a vehicle for a while. And it's just like one, two punch after another. And, and, and you begin to wonder, it's like, man, why are things going this way? You know, you, you look at your life and you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the right things. You know, and, and, and I... I, don't, I know that I'm not the only one that, that, that goes through these, these phases, these things where you feel like that you're doing the right thing and everything is, is uh, you know, you're not doing anything that should be causing any havoc in your life and, and you know, you're, you're, you're making sure you're spending time with God, you're going to church, you're doing all the right things and then life just seems to be punching you right in the face, left and right. And no matter what you do, it just seems like nothing is going right. Sometimes we'll be on top of the world. Anybody ever been in a, in a spiritual hill, though, where you're on top of the world, prayers are being answered, you're getting raises at work, everything's being taken care of, like you're never late to anything, the car's running fine, like everything is just going perfect. And then sometimes it's like the world's a mess and you wonder, is God even around? In our spiritual walk, we're going to experience hills and valleys. And something that's always going to happen. You're always going to face them. One of the things that uh, uh, we can be mistaken if, that we think that if we're walking with God and, and we're in the right place, that our, that our life is going to be all gumdrops and roses from then on out. Matter of fact, one of the greatest disservices we can do when we're trying to tell people about Christ and get people to become Christians is to tell them that if, if you become a Christian, your world's just going to be fantastic. Because it's not. You know what, you're going to deal, matter of fact, you're going to deal with stuff that you never would have dealt with if you had not become a Christian. But the good news is God is always there with you. But today I want to talk about 
And you'll see this all throughout the Bible, this idea of hills and valleys and a spiritual walk. You'll see it all throughout the Bible. Today, we really want to take a look at Elijah's life and look at some of the hills and valleys that he went through. So we're going to start in 1 Kings 17.1. It says, Now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe, and Gilead said to Ahab, Is the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand? There shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. This is one of our first introductions to Elijah, and I want to give you some background on what's going on here. The Jewish people depended on seasonal rain for the success of their crops. Turns out all farmers depend on, on, on irrigation for their crops. Here, even in Arizona, we depend on, on, on water for the crops. They just bring it in manufactured because <laughs> we never get rain. But in, in, in this area, the Lord didn't send the early rain until October, November, and the latter rains came in March and April. Um, and in this season, there was going to soon be a famine in the land because there wasn't going to be any, ra- any rains coming. You see, the, the land belonged to the Lord. How many know the land belongs to the Lord? And he said to the, to the Jewish people that if you defile my land, if you're not, and, and you're going to worship sinful idols, then, then you're not going to be blessed. And Ahab right now is the king of Israel. And, and if you know anything about Ahab, he's not a good dude. First Kings 16.1 says, Ahab did evil in the sight of the Lord. But even worse than that, it says, more than all who were before him. He was just like taking it up another notch. And now, Elijah, who's one of the greatest Old Testament prophets, is introduced for the first time right here. He's in step with God. This guy, him him and God are are in lockstep together. And even his name means Yahweh is my God. And he's being used by God to demonstrate to all of Israel that God is God and not any of the balls. And Elijah stands before the king and he declares, there's going to be no rain except by his word. That's pretty bold. This prophet gets up before the king and says, there's not going to be any rain except for my word. And this is a pretty significant announcer, a pronouncement of judgment to worshipers of, the, of Baal because they thought Baal was the god of rain. They thought that they could worship this god and the rains were going to come and now God's making a statement and he's proclaiming it through Elijah. So imagine the kind of confidence that Elijah has to have in his god to go before the king and say these things. Elijah is at the top of his game. He's on a spiritual hill. He knows God is with him. He gets up there and he makes this proclamation. And uh, he's feeling good. He's right where he needs to be. But even on this spiritual hill, he's at the top of his game. He's lockstep with God. God's speaking him. He knows what he's going to say. And we know the rest of the story, right? He's obviously right. He's not a false prophet. So God's speaking to him. And you think it's going to work out a certain way. But then even then, this is what happens to Elijah. In 1 Kings 17, 2-7, it says, The word of the Lord came to him and says, Depart from here, turn eastward, and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is the east of the Jordan. Can you imagine this? This is Elijah. He's on top of his game. He's on the spiritual hill. And then God tells him to go run and hide. Now this might look like he's getting ready to head into a spiritual valley. Valley. Although there's no indication, if you read the, the scripture here, that Elijah's concerned. He's just going to do what God says, because he's still on his hill, right? And uh, he trusts God. And after this grand declaration of power, God tells him to run. And like I said, this is interesting to me, because and this is what separates me and God, among other things, is that we don't do the things the same way. I would think that if I'm going to send somebody in a declaration of power, he's going to have angels behind him, armored. I'm going to be opening everybody's eyes. They can see the chariots of fire. There's going to be no doubt. But instead, he sends him to run and hide. And then while he's hiding, 
we're going to find out that it seems like God's going to head insult to injury. I want you to go hide, and then I want you to eat animals that are unclean. And we can look at this two ways. We can either view this as Elijah being let down by God, or we can look at it as God taking care of Elijah against all odds. How many know that when God sends a drought into the land, everybody's getting impacted by the drought? If there's going to be famine in the land, everybody's getting impacted by it. But instead, we can look at this as, as why is God making Elijah go run and hide? Why isn't God doing what we think he should do? Or instead, God is taking care of him in the midst of this immense judgment on the land. But one of the things I want, you to point, I want you to notice is that even if you're doing everything right, sometimes you might go through some hard times, some difficult times. Doing everything right does not mean that your life is going to be perfect from here on out. Elijah still had to experience this drought, this famine with the rest of Israel. And he had to hide because the king was coming to kill him. And the problem was is that the king blamed Elijah. Ahab blamed Elijah for this drought. Now this is funny to me because I think of, <laughs> I used to always go through this with my kids when they were growing up. And they would, they would get in trouble, and I would send them to the room, and I'd walk in there, and they'd be angry. And I said, are you mad at me? I'm like, yes, I'm mad at you. I'm like, why are you mad at me? Because you got me in trouble. Now, when I got you in trouble, let's, let's go back and go through this step by step. Why are you in trouble? Because I did this. Who did this? I did. So who got you in trouble? <laughs> but that's what Ahab's doing right here, right? He's the one leading the, the nation into sin, into worshiping idols. He's the one causing the mess. He actually led the, his people into having this drought being brought on him, but it's Elijah's fault. But Elijah was just being obedient to the word of God. And now, because of this, his living conditions are kind of strained. He's eating the food that he doesn't want to eat. But even if it doesn't seem like everything's working out in your life, it doesn't mean God's not there. That's one thing. You know, when I, when I, when I looked at this message today, I'm like, this has got to be, some, some people here need reminded of this. But the real reason I'm preaching in this today is because sometimes I need to be reminded of this. <laughs> and you know what? Just because things are going rough and things aren't going the way you expect, doesn't mean God's not with you. And we need to recognize in these hard times that God is still with us. He's still taking care of us, no matter how bad that it gets. And recognize that things not working out how we expect them to is not an indication necessarily that you are failing or that you're screwing up or that you're sinning or any of those things. Sometimes we just have to ride out the hills and valleys in our lives because they're going to come. And it continues on in verses 8 through 12 of 1 Kings 17. It says, And the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Uh oh. Clicker is down. Can you go to the next one? Yes. <laughs> probably telling me I misspelled, I mispronounced the word Zarephath. That's what it is. There we go. All right, now we're fighting. So he rose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water and a vessel that I may drink. 
And she was going to bring it, and he called her to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. How's that for an outlook on life? You see, the, the drought's gone on now for quite a while. And the little brook that was providing water to Elijah is all dried up. Food's not being flown in anymore. And now we see God operating outside the box again. You know, this is one of the things that, that is most convincing to me that, that the Bible is unique and that it was inspired by God. And the things God that are doing are from God because he never does anything like how I would do it. <laughs> Or like any other man would do it. God's always doing things differently. So God's, God's doing something that we wouldn't expect, right? So now you're like, oh, surely God's going to help Elijah. He's going to send him to the richest person in the town that has plenty of food. Nope. Send him to a widow who's broke and getting ready to die. I mean, she is so distraught with life. She's like, I'm just going to have one last meal and we're calling it quits. Me and my son. And I wonder what's going through Elijah's head, because we probably imagine him being just this epitome of faith and strength. It's like, all right, God, I'm heading to town. What do you want me to do? I want you to find the poorest person there with the least, and you're going to have her take care of you. You know, you ever had those moments you want to take a look at God and like, are you sure? Are you messing with me? But the thing is, is we're going to see later that he's just like us. He got afraid. He questioned if he was on the right path, and we'll see that in a moment. But I, I, I wonder if he was like, man, you're finally sending me away from the brook. Finally, I'm done with this. And he's like, wait, now we're doing this? But he goes, and he trusts God. The one thing you find with Elijah most of the time is he just trusts God and keeps on going. And then now imagine the, the widow's surprise. It's even worse, right? So... <laughs> Here she is. She's done with life. She's ready to give up. And some dude, old dude with a big beard, walks up and he says, hey, I want you to make me something to eat. And she says, hey, I, I don't have anything. I just have enough. We're going to eat one last thing and then we're going to die. And then Elijah's like, don't worry about that. Bring it to me first. <laughs> Can you imagine what she's thinking? Seems like she's in one of her valleys. Verse 17 or chapter 17, 13 through 16 says, And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little. A little cake and, and of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. That's rich. Can you imagine being that lady here in that? And for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she... And he and her household ate for many days, and the jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that was spoke by Elijah. <laughs> Elijah comes and says, I'm going to take the last little bit of what you have, bring it to me first. And then after I'm satisfied, you can go make your meal for your son. But we know the rest of the story. We just, we just read it here. You know, one of the things I don't think that we, we get the full picture of is, is uh, have you ever measured time in the Bible by how many verses it takes up? Sometimes I do that. I'm like, man, this is only like three verses later. It must have been right quick. 
But the truth is, is we're just getting snapshots of what's happening here. And, and, but Elijah's coming and saying to these things, and he doesn't start with, hey, you're not going to run out. He starts with, bring everything you have to me, and if you have some left over, then go ahead and save it for your son so you guys can go and die. But we, we know the rest of the story. We know what happens. This widow didn't, but she does what Elijah says. I wonder if she even knew what Elijah, who Elijah was. Maybe she did, maybe she didn't. I don't know. I wonder if she doubted his word when he said, you know what? I mean, because really, if somebody came to your house and said, you know what? Give me everything that you have left and don't worry, it'll get refilled. How would you feel about that, right? You just give me everything you have left and don't worry, it'll be refilled later. You know, I wonder if she doubted his word or was she just so exasperated at this point she didn't even care. I imagine that's probably where she's at. But she listens and she trusts God. And she ate for many eight days and the flour wasn't used up. It didn't run out. She didn't have her last meal and get prepared to die. She was taken care of. And then we see Elijah heading up on top of one of hills again, on his hills again, because God's just coming through, taking care of him. All the time we find out that when, when, when Elijah speaks, it's like God is speaking audibly himself and miracles are commonplace in his presence. And the one thing that I think that we really need to take care uh, it's a heart with this is that even when things aren't happening as we expect, God is still our source. God is still taking care of us. When everything is perfect, it's easy to let our eyes fall away from God. Probably one of the biggest reasons we're in such a mess in this country is we've had it so good for so long. Everyone thinks they can take care of themselves and no one wants to trust God anymore. And it's falling apart. When everything's perfect, it's easy to let your eyes slip down. But there are times in our lives when it's easy to see that God is the source. And you'll notice that's usually when your life's a mess and God's the only thing getting you through. And there's no doubt that he's taking care of you. And then if we go on to verse 20 and 21, it says, And he cried to the Lord, O Lord, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. Have you ever been in a situation where you seem to be getting traction and then everything just falls out from below you? This is what's going on right here. Elijah's getting traction. God's doing miracles. And then the, 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 the widow's son dies. The plan was for him to eat his last meal and then die. But that all changed when all of a sudden the bread keep getting made. And then he dies anyway. So imagine this widow. God shows up, feeds her and her son. There's hope. There's light at the end of the tunnel. Things are going good. She's like, man, God's with me. And then her son dies. The world just falls out from beneath her. And what's interesting to me is even Elijah's shocked. Even Elijah's like, God, what is the deal here? Why would you bring calamity upon this woman that I was just staying with? That's how he starts as he cries to the Lord, my God, why have you brought calamity upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? He doesn't get it. He doesn't understand what God is doing. So then he goes and he begins to pray for the child. Now, spoiler alert, if you've never read this story, the boy lives. And the result of this tragedy is the widow publicly declares her faith in the God of Israel. 1 Kings 17, 24 says, And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and the word of the Lord is in your mouth. 
God used this awful situation to strengthen this lady's faith. And one thing that I'm starting to learn more and more as I read his word and what I'm starting to learn more and more as I live it out in my own life is that we do the majority of our growing and learning and strengthening and increasing of our faith in our valleys. Because that's when you need faith the most. I was just talking to somebody recently, I asked them, do you think we'll have faith in heaven? And I don't think we will because you don't need faith in heaven. You just don't need it. And that's what happens when you're on the top of your, your hills. You, you, you don't really exercise your faith because you don't really need as much because everything's taken care of. But when you're in your valleys, that's when you really got to trust God. And without this terrible tragedy, she, she may not have been pushed to grow her faith like she had. Then we're going to fast forward in uh, his life by exactly one chapter. I don't know how long that is in, in Bible years. But we're one chapter ahead, and it says, So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah said, near to all the, came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. So this is after a bit. We've been in the drought for a while. He, the brook's dried up, so we know it's been a pretty severe drought. He stayed with the widow, and now it's time for Elijah to go confront Ahab again. And after Ahab goes ahead and accuses Elijah of being the troubler of Israel, Elijah reminds him that it's actually him and his fathers that caused this problem. They have abandoned God, and now they're following the balls, and, and that's what's causing the issue. So so. Elijah tells him to gather up all the prophets of all. And once they're all gathered, this is how Elijah addresses Israel. He says, look, if, if the balls are God, follow them. But if God is God, follow him. He's speaking boldly. He's speaking the truth. Once again, he's at the top of his spiritual game. And then shortly after this, he's going to challenge all the prophets of Baal and then, and then mock them. And one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible because they're doing their thing, they're cutting themselves, they're calling the God, and, and Baal, their God's not answering. And Elijah says, why don't you scream louder? Maybe he can't hear you. Or maybe he's taking a poop. That's basically what the, that's the, the New Wayne translation, but that's what the Bible says. He's relieving himself. He mocks them. And then you know the story, he, he, he builds an altar, covers it with water, and they pour all the water, and that's an amazing thing too, because you know what you don't have a lot of in a drought? water and he's asking them to pour all the water elijah's always just taking everybody's last stuff that's that's his mo through all this stuff so he takes all the water and then god calls down fire burns it up and it proves that god is god but he's at the top of his game he's in the top of his spiritual walk and then in kings 18 41 through 46 it says elijah said to ahab go up eat and drink for there is a sound of the rushing of rain so ahab went up to eat and to drink and elijah went up to the top of mount caramel and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees and he said to his servant go up now look toward the sea and he went up and looked and said there's nothing there and then he said go again seven times and at the seventh time can you imagine being the servant like after about the fifth or sixth time he's like elijah there's nothing there seriously I don't know how far he had to travel, but if it was a long walk, I bet it'd be frustrating. I don't know if you guys think about these things when you're reading the Bible, but <laughs> the truth is these people are just like us, and you send me somewhere seven times, I'm going to start to get irritated. Anyway, he says, go seven times, and at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. 
And he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. In a little while, the heavens grew black with cloud and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he gathered up his garment, and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Shortly after that encounter with the prophets of Baal, Elijah heads to the Mount Carmel and begins to pray. When you need something done, when you need some support from God, that's where you need to find yourself is on your knees, beginning to pray. And then finally, after the servant been sent like 112 times to check for the cloud, he comes back and he says, there's a little bitty cloud like the size of a man's hand out there. And I'm wondering, like, is this like off in the distance he sees the cloud and if he holds his hand up, it's the size of his hand. So that's probably a pretty big cloud. Or if like it's a little speck and he's like, that can't be bigger than the size of a man's hand. I don't know. Don't ask me these questions. It doesn't really say. But it's not a very big cloud. I think we can all agree on that. And Elijah's reaction is so weird because it's this tiny cloud. And he's like, you guys need to get up and get a move on it. It's coming. And I imagine the servant's like, I told you it was a little cloud. But Elijah knows there's something coming. God is beginning to move. And the truth is, is Elijah's in step with the Holy Spirit. He's in step with God. He knows what's coming. And this was going to be a symbol to the nation. The prophets of Baal were dead. The rain is coming back. And then he gets up and he says, you know what, go tell them to hurry up and get down there lest you get caught up in the rain. And, and it says that he had him gather up his chariots. Uh-oh, there we go. It says, uh, prepare your chariot and go down. So now we know Ahab is on a chariot. These are the things that I think about when I think it's funny and reading the Bible. He's on a chariot. He's got a horse in front of him. They're bailing down the mountain so they don't get caught up in the rain. And then it says, Elijah gathers up his garments and runs past them all. <laughs> this dude was running fast. And, he, and, you know, he's been going through a drought. He's an old man. I don't imagine he's the epitome of physical health. He doesn't look like a, uh, a, you know, a, a natural athlete. So all I see is, and every time I think about this is those old comics where you see the old guys uh, when, they, when they run and then they saw the, 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 their legs spinning around in like a cloud circle. That's what I imagine. <laughs> Elijah takes off past him, gets down to the bottom of the hill as God is making a statement. And all Israel is going to see that he is God. But the thing is, is that things start to take a turn for the worse for Elijah after this. First Kings 19, 1 through 3, it says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so many, so may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. And then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. After this incredible display of power and strength, Elijah seems to be stumbling headlong into one of his valleys. And this is interesting to me because he just took on an entire army of prophets of Baal, stood up to the king. Hundreds of false prophets are slain, and now he's afraid of a single woman. And this, is, this has always confused me because 
And, and the truth is, I've seen this in other people's lives, and if I'm honest, I've seen it in my own life. You go through a moment of, of just God taking care of you, and you have all the faith in the world you see that is with you, and then you lose your job. And you f- it's like we forget about what just happened, and all of a sudden we're struggling again. And God's been taking care of you the, the whole time. So he has this incredible display of power, and then he runs. And then in verses, 1 King 19, verses 9 through 10, it says, There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Anybody ever found yourself in that kind of situation? God says, What are you doing here, Pastor Wayne? Haven't I told you to be somewhere else? What are you running from? He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. (laughs) Here's where I think we actually start to see the real reason that he ran away. I don't think he was running from Jezebel. Imagine what Elijah's going through. Just went through this horrific drought, trusting God all the way. When we finally get through it, we have this incredible display of power. It's supposed to be a turning point for the nation of Israel. It's supposed to be the time that they throw away all their altars, they stop worshiping balls, and they put their focus on the one God. And we just see God move in such an incredible way. The rains come. There can be no doubt that God is God. Yet nothing changed in Israel. I think that's why he was so upset. He did all these things. He did all this stuff for God. Israel was supposed to return to God. But that's not what's happening. And then now we got the the queen coming after him to kill him for going after all these things. Jezebel wanting to kill him was just evidence that nothing had really changed at least not as quickly and succinctly as he had expected. See, the truth is, Elijah's just like us. And sometimes we begin to form opinions on how God should do things and when God, when God should do things. I think that's our biggest issue. You know, I, I think uh, when you read the New Testament, you see the revelation of who God is, we can have a pretty good idea of what God is going to do. But man, do we get the timing wrong all the time. And we don't have patience. Or we begin to lose faith along the way. But things aren't going like he expected. I mean, all this just happened. God really moved and, and Israel hasn't changed. And he begins to reply to God, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel forsaken your covenant and thrown down your altars. Has anybody ever had that argument with God? But God, I'm doing everything that you want me to do. God, I'm doing everything. Why are things going wrong in my life? I've done everything. And this is Elijah. God, I'm doing everything you wanted me to do. I did everything that you said. I trusted you every step of the way. Yet, your people, the people of Israel, they've forsaken you and thrown down your altars and killed your prophet with sword. And I, even I, am only left. And now they seek my life. I've done that before. God, I'm doing everything right. God, we're, we're doing all the right thing. Why isn't the church growing? God, why, why are we seeing so many people sick? What, what is going on? You know, the, 
even now in my life now, it's like, God, I don't know what's going on, but everything just this gut punch after gut punch everywhere around me. What is going on? But we have to remember that even in those times, God is still with us. Elijah had just fallen into his probably deepest valley yet. But this is how God responds to him. In verses 11 through 18, he says, And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken me. And even I am only left, and they seek my life. Did I hit the wrong button? And then verse 15, and the Lord said to him, go and return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Azal to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be the king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel, Mahola, you should anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Azal shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all that the knees have not all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. We don't have to stay in our valleys. This is how God responds. He says, I've done everything. And he says, Elijah, here's what I want you to do. We're going to change the king. And anybody that's still doing those things or still worshiping, they're going to be died by the sword, either by your predecessor or the new king. Things are going to change. Things are going to get taken care of. But the one thing that you'll notice is that God is still with Elijah, even in his lowest point. And the most interesting thing to me is that God's not only with Elijah when he's doing everything right, but Elijah is so far away from where he's supposed to be that God has to say, what are you doing here? Even when Elijah had run away, even when he wasn't where he was supposed to be, God still searched for him and found him and ultimately demonstrated that he's with him and then he's going to see what he intended to see. That's the thing is, God didn't run even though Elijah did. Even at his lowest, Elijah's lowest, God still had a plan. And there were thousands who were still his and changes were coming. You know, one of the things that it's really important to think about this when, when there was the earthquake and the winds and the fire. It says God wasn't in those things. God's not always in the spectacular. So when you're in your own valleys, just make sure you're listening for that still small voice. God will see you through. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our heads.